In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, uh, who is exactly who we're going to be looking at here over the next several weeks uh, as we start this series, Breakthrough, Christmas According to John. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to actually a letter that John wrote to us as the church, 1 John chapter 1, as we're going to be hanging out in our time here this morning. And you don't need me to tell you, you know the date, but I'm just going to share in the reality that December is here and the countdown to Christmas is full on. And with that in mind, despite, you could say, the many focal points uh, that we have in this season, the places to be, the the people we need to get things for, uh, and even still making sure we make some time to be a part of Pastor Adam's Hallmark Movie Marathon, all important things. Uh, Those of you who know Pastor Adam, that's, yes, that's for real. Um, That we know that in this space in particular, uh, we want to make sure that we give our attention to the point of Christmas, uh, where Christmas derives its very name, Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, who came to be among us, to thus live, to one day die for the forgiveness of all of our sin. And so that's what we look at, and that starts, you could say, in a unique way in the reality of what Christmas is. And when it comes to, you could say, the topic of Christmas or taking that on uh, as far as like a, you know, what God's Word has to say, there's actually... You could say two ways that we could look at a series, uh, a sermon series on Christmas. One is to give our attention and focus to, you could say, the events of Christmas. You know, what happened, you know, with, you know, shepherds and angels and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and a manger. We can look at the events, what happened, uh, or we could look at why those events happened why these events took place. And we see both in the scriptures, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they give in great detail a description of what happened. But then unique to the book of John, we don't have the events of Christmas, but underneath that you could say we see the why of Christmas, why Christmas came, why Jesus came. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at over the next several weeks in this series as we recognize that the message that John is gonna show us is that God in Jesus, you could say, broke through. Broke through every barrier that separated us from him in order to restore a relationship, a real relationship with us and him. So that's what we're gonna discover in this series, the how, the why of Christmas, breakthrough Christmas according to John. Uh, And with that, I invite you to jump in with me. First John chapter one, starting in verse one. He says it this way. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, 
This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and has appeared to us. And so we see in this opening, uh, these opening words of this letter, John, the author of this letter, uh, he is identifying himself as one of the 12 apostles, one of the hand-picked people that Jesus had uh, who was actually still alive to write this letter. He was, you could say, the last man standing. And he reminds us that he, like, he was there. Like, he witnessed this. This is not, you know, an interview. He's like, he says, I've seen with uh, my eyes, and he's representing the apostles and hundreds of others. We've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. Our hands have touched. Jesus, the life appeared, which have, excuse me, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And then from there, John, he breaks into, uh, again, not the events of Christmas, but really the meaning of, uh, of Christmas, really proclaiming the why as we pick it up in verse three. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And so this idea of fellowship with us, this is actually what Pastor Thomas, if you were with us last week, concluded our Rule of Life series with, that when it comes to this idea of church fellowship, it's so much more than just a church potluck or hanging out and having pizza, but this idea of this rich relationship with one another that encourages our ultimate relationship with God. And that's what John is pointing to, that in our relationship, our fellowship together, we, it continues in verse three, it spurs on this fellowship with God, the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, we write this to make our joy complete that for John, to share this message of Jesus, the relationship with God through him, that when he shares this, when we receive this, that this is completing the joy of John. Like it's not just having it, but sharing it that makes his joy complete, sharing the good news that Jesus has come. And so the way that John starts this with is by sharing, you could say, who this Jesus even is. What do we mean when we talk about Jesus come as God in the flesh, the Son of God? Like what does that actually mean? Well, again, John's first-hand account, he says, verse one, that this Jesus is the capital W, word of life. And so anytime you see John use that word, word, uh, it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about how he was literally like word expressed in reality from the beginning. In fact, in John chapter one, verse one, the gospel of John, in describing the coming of Jesus, he says it this way. It was the passage that uh, was in the video prior to our conversation here. It says, in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, was Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Which in doing that, he's actually intentionally re-quoting the very first words of the entire Bible. In Genesis one, verse one, it's in the beginning, God. So it's how it all starts, and John goes back to that, in the beginning, God, and then John starts off his gospel, in the beginning was Jesus, the word was with God. And so what John is revealing right out of the gate in his letter to us about what Christmas is all about, the why behind it, is number one, is understanding that Jesus, he wasn't created, he didn't come into being, he didn't begin 2,000 years ago in a stable, but that as John would go on to say at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega. John writes this of his words. I am the beginning and the end who is, who was, and who is to come. Or just looking right at our own passage. Look again at verse 2. He says, the eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life. You see, and this is why Christmas matters. This is why uh, Christmas candidly is, you could say, different than any other religion. Because in Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life. We receive the gift of eternal life. And with that, that makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. You see, in other religions, the founder uh, could be like a prophet or some type of sage. The founder says, hey, here is the way. Let me show you the way to you know, become one with God or to the infinite or to eternal life. Like, do this, do that, and you will earn your way to eternal life. But in Jesus, John records later on, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, actually, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, Christianity does not say uh, in Jesus he was a prophet pointing the way to God and eternal life. Jesus Christ, according to Christmas, is the way. He is the way to eternal life. That in Jesus he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. To know Jesus is to know eternal life. Maybe I can illustrate this in a conversation I had just a couple of weeks ago over Thanksgiving uh, dinner. And you've probably had these kinds of conversations along the way. But uh, it was a new extended family member, or at least new to me at this particular dinner. And picking up on what I did for a living uh, was quick to have some questions about uh, essentially very specific, like, hey, if I do these not so good things, will that keep me out of heaven? And if I do these good things, will that get me into heaven? Like almost like this, you know, like if I'm living a good enough life, like am I on track? And you've probably had those kinds of conversations before of like kind of where does this, I mean, living a good life obviously makes some sense. It seems like it should be part of some equation somewhere. But a lot of times those conversations will come down to like that's all that matters. Like, like maybe something to the effect of, well, what we believe, or doctrine, that's what doctrine is, it's just a statement of belief, uh, that doctrine, what we believe, it, it doesn't really matter, but what really just matters is that you live a good life. And, and then you might push, okay, so where's that leave you with Jesus? Like, what do you believe about Jesus? And they may say, I don't, I don't know what I believe about Jesus. I don't know about the virgin birth. I don't know that Jesus was really God. I'm not sure how I feel about the whole resurrection from the dead thing. Like, uh, I don't know. But that doesn't matter because, again, doctrine doesn't matter. What we believe doesn't matter. What matters is that we live a good life, so I'm going to try to live a good life. Um, which, just kind of a time out here. To say um, what you believe doesn't matter, but what uh, living a good life is what matters, that actually is a a statement of belief. That is a doctrinal statement. What is, it's the belief, uh, it's, it's been historically called the doctrine of works righteousness, that if I do these good things, I earn my way to heaven. So ironically, to even say what you believe doesn't matter, uh, but you believe that if you live a good life is actually a belief. So sorry, I just had to get that in there. Um, because, but it is, and, and, and you could say in contrast to what we are offered in Jesus, which is the gift, the eternal gift of eternal life only by the grace of Jesus. So but just for the sake of conversation, let's maybe chase that doctrine down for a minute. That this idea that maybe that all that really matters is if you live a good life. And which again, no one's looking like no one said, I think the goal is to live a bad life. So how's that play out? Well, I have to then ask the question for me personally, like if it's 
about living a good life, I don't know about you, but I'm asking, well, like, just how good is a good life? Like, how good is good enough? I mean, are we talking, like, A-plus good enough? Because A-plus sounds like perfect. And I don't think I'm supposed to live a perfect life. Nobody's perfect, so we're talking more, like, A-minus? Is that good? You know? And if we're going to go A-minus, like, are we talking seven-point grading scale or ten-point grading scale? Those of you in education know what I'm talking about, right? Like a 93 to 100 is an A, but if you go to a 92 on a seven-point scale, that's actually a B plus, so you need to know. Is a 92 or 91 or 90 an A minus, or are we talking B? Or, let's just be honest, looking at my own GPA, is this kind of more of like a, like a C's gets degrees kind of good enough, maybe, perhaps, if I'm lucky? It's like, without, it, it reveals pretty quickly, without a clear report card, This idea that, hey, if we just live a good enough life leaves us with a whole lot more questions than it does answers. Because ultimately, it can only lead to just one of a few different outcomes. Either one, it's gonna be just a life of just complete insecurity and fear, this like undercurrent of just never feeling like you're quite good enough. Or, Or maybe inversely, it'll lead to a life of like pride and like looking down at others who you have graded yourself better than to put you in the good category, or, or maybe ultimately just devastated, like just the self-loathing of just concluding like, I'm never going to be good enough. So the how good is good enough equation only leaves you either fearful and anxious and insecure, proud, or just completely devastated, and probably most likely some oscillation between all three of those at any given you see, if the story of Christmas, if, if Jesus didn't actually come as God in the flesh, if this story of Christmas is just a story, just a wonderful little legend of what happened, of you know, angels in the sky, shepherds watching their flocks by night on a starry night in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and you know, eight pounds, six ounce infant baby Jesus in a manger, like if that's all this is, if there is no why, behind this what, if there is no meaning underneath these events, well, let's just head home now. I mean, because you're on your own. I'm on my own. But, but if Christmas is true, if Jesus really did come as the truth, the way, and the life, that we are actually forgiven of our sin, of the not good enoughs that we all have in our lives, and saved from the penalty of that sin, the eternal death, the separation that we've caused through our sin from God. If we're rescued from that and given this gift of a new life, which is understood eternally in eternal life, then we've got a whole new thing. In fact, it's to this thing that John is so emphatically testifying to. Look again, what does he say? He, he's just so emphatic, like this is real. Like we saw him with our own eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. New Testament scholars who uh, interpret this passage, they say that these verses, the style that John is writing in, it, it corresponds, he said, they say, with uh, what would have been an attestation in ancient jurisprudence. Uh, In other words, John is not just making conversation here. He is like literally swearing an eyewitness deposition as if he's in a court of law. 
And with it, John, he's making abundantly clear that this is not just some nice story about Jesus, but that Jesus, he really came. It really happened. He really lived. He really ministered. He really died, and he really rose again. He really is God incarnate who has come, as John would later say, the way, the truth, and the life. And when John says that, he's just quoting Jesus, that he says of Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so this is this idea behind this whole theme this Christmas for us. This idea of this is exactly what Jesus did in Christmas, that he literally broke through. He broke through the, the chasm, if you will, between heaven and earth. He broke through the sin and the separation that separates us from God in Jesus coming, who would, yes, come and live, but one day die for the forgiveness of our sin. That God in Jesus did all of this just to be with you. Just to be with you. And so in light of that, as we consider the great lengths that God went to send his one and only son to live and to die for us, then the question for us this Christmas season is, well, what are we doing to get to know him in return? What effort uh, what intentionality are we giving for him in response to what he has done for us? That in receiving this gift of a new life, an eternal life, what are we doing to receive the gift of knowing God in return? To which you might say, well, based on what you said, like, I'm good. Like, I've received the gift of eternal life. Like, like I know God. Like, the things you said, like, I believe them. Like, I, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that Jesus is God incarnate, God come in the flesh. I believe in the resurrection. Like, you might say, like, I know. Like, my doctrine is sound. Like, what I believe, I, I believe it matters, and I believe it's on track, which is good. It's, it's, it's a great start. But know that there is another layer or you could say another side of this believing coin when it comes to what belief is as according to Jesus and the scriptures. Real quickly, just to kind of point this out, James, the brother of Jesus, would go on to say this, very interesting. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe in God, great, but even the demons, like, what's that about? It's almost like, uh, it was interesting, I was writing this message, um, and I'd been sitting for a while typing, and my watch, uh, when I sit for too long, tells me, it's time to stand up. And so I stood up, to which my then watch responds to me, you did it. Like, way to go. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, I smiled, because I thought, you know what, that's like the ultimate like, participation trophy for adults. <laughs> like, way to go. And I was thinking about, like, that's kind of what James is saying. He's like, you believe that there's a God? Great. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what's this about? I mean, I thought believing in God, was like, what's going on here? Well, here is what this is meaning. Here's what this goes on to say. That it, it's this idea that when it comes to belief, that there's more to belief than just being able to say, you could say true, to a series of true or false statements about Jesus. That, that belief, it goes beyond just 
a cognitive agreement with a series of declarations that just say, yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. You could say belief, according to the scriptures, is all about moving, you could say, beyond just believing that to believing in. It's the difference between believing that something is true and actually living and believing in, you could say, trusting in the trueness of that. John, he would say it this way in his gospel about Jesus' life. He says, uh, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to them to become children of God. And so how do we do that? How do we, I mean, like, how do we make that shift from just believing that to actually believing in? Well, thankfully, John does not leave us hanging in our letter here. So pick it up in verse five, where he gives us uh, the answer to this question of shifting from just believing that to actually believing in. Verse five says, this is the message. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare now to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim to have a relationship with him, this is language we use a lot, having a personal relationship with God, then yet walk in the darkness, it says that we lie. That we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what does that mean? Well, looking out through the Gospel of John and the letters of John, one of the phrases, uh, actually you'll see several phrases that are all pointing to the same idea. You'll see when John talks about believing in God or knowing God or fellowship with God or walking with God, that these are all terms that he uses interchangeably. Uh, that when this idea of like we're actually going somewhere, we're walking with him, that to believe in him, to know him, is to know him, you could say both personally and practically. That the way you know him, that the way you believe in and not just believe that is to really know him personally and practically. And so here's what that looks like. First, personally at the heart level, um, that you truly experience the presence or relationship with God. Uh, rather than describe it, I'd rather just share a story of a friend where I feel this is taking place in a powerful way. Uh, a friend of mine in the life of this church uh, has been just plagued with severe depression. Uh, she's seen doctors, she's seen counselors, she's um, gotten all forms of medication, she's prayed her guts out, she's searched the word, she's sought counsel, I mean, she's done it all. And if she's honest, she's, she's frustrated. She's, she's disappointed that God has not healed her and delivered her fully from her depression. But I watch her, she just, she just takes one faith step, one life's foot in front of the other of just these, I see it, just these morsels of faith. Jesus called it faith the size of a mustard seed. And it's kind of like, man, it's a good thing that's all you need to make things happen because I know that's about all she's got. And I watch her and we'll conclude our conversations and our prayer with her saying something to the effect every time. She'll say, but I know. Even at her lowest, she'll say, I know I am going to make it. I know he is with me. I know I'm going to be okay. Because she knows personally personally, the reality of a relationship 
with a very real God who's carrying her through, even in the worst of those circumstances. Um, it makes me think of um, Daniel Steele, not, not Danielle Steele, uh, very different. Daniel Steele, uh, 19th century Methodist minister. I came across uh, a correspondence, a letter that he had written to a friend talking about his relationship with God. I love the way he puts it. Um, He says it this way. He says, you know, sometimes once a week and sometimes every day I feel, which I want to like, I love that honesty. Like here's a minister, here's a guy who's like day in and day out, he's in the word, he's praying, but he's just being honest. Like when it comes to what he feels, he's like, you know, sometimes once a week, he says, sometimes even every day, like I feel God's presence. I just love that honesty. But he says, sometimes once a week, sometimes every day, I feel the pressure of his great love come down upon my heart. With the light of his radiant presence, my heart is touched, my heart is melting. He says, the flintiness, the hardness is melting, melting away anger, melting away fear. You see what? Daniel Steele is describing uh, what my friend is fighting for through her depression, what she is declaring is not just knowing about, not just knowing the facts, not just knowing that, yes, God loves people, yes, God provides, yes, God's sovereign, yes, God cares. No, they are attesting to personally knowing, to experiencing, even in the face of you know, feeling unloved, feeling out of control, uncertainty, disappointment, anxiety, anger, fear, that in light of that, in spite of that, they still personally know and experience and can say, I feel the pressure of his great love come down upon my heart. With the light of his radiant presence, my heart is touched, my heart is melting, the flintiness is melting, melting away anger, melting away fear. That this is the difference between Believing that and believing in. To move from just knowing that to just knowing about to knowing personally. Because when we know God personally in this way, then we naturally will want to get to know him practically. That when we know him personally, we will want to know him practically. The gift of knowing God both personally and practically. You see, it's important to catch this, that in John bringing us the message of Christmas. It's not just all, and it's easy to do. It's easy to slip into because that's what Christmas is about. This this feeling, these memories. You know, John is saying that Christmas is more than just a feeling. It's more than just an existential experience. It's not just pure mysticism. Yes, we feel God's presence. You know, we feel him, you could say, subjectively within us. But that reality is based in, it's rooted in an objective reality that has been revealed by John, by Jesus, to him and hundreds of others. Again, we saw him with our eyes, we heard him with our ears, we touched him with our hands, we know him personally, but we also then, out of the overflow of that, commit to know him practically, like to walk with him in his ways. Maybe I can help connect the the, the personal and the practical here um, with another illustration, another story. I met with a guy, it's probably more than 10 years ago now, who was just in a, a troubled marriage. They were, they were struggling. He was incredibly unhappy. And he was convinced that God had put this other younger woman in his life to um, make him happy. He said he felt so good about himself when he was with her. Uh, and that in his estimation, this adulterous relationship was part of a God-given path for him to leave his wife and family for this other woman. To which 
Okay, so he's saying that I have this subjective feeling that this is what God has for me. Well, the problem with that is, is that God has already revealed himself objectively in his word as being against adultery. You see, what John is saying here, just read it with me again, verse six. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, relationship with God, and yet walk in darkness, you know, contrary to God's revealed objective truth, well, then we lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. We do not live out the truth. And really, John goes on to say this even more plainly a few verses later. It's not in our passage today, but just a few verses into chapter two. He, he says it, not, you know, not, it's kind of light and dark, it's kind of ethereal, but here he's pretty plain. Uh, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. In other words, to claim that you know God personally, but then just reject his commands practically is the reality that you're living a lie, that you don't actually know God personally as evidenced by your rejection, you could say, of him practically. Uh, and, and really with that, this idea of the God that you know, I'm gonna put God in air quotes, is not really God at all because who you know is actually not the God as revealed in the scriptures, in the Bible, but actually just merely a reflection of what you want, of what you feel, of your own desires, of what you think God should be in your particular viewpoint or circumstance rather than who he's actually revealed himself to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and Christian martyr under Nazi Germany, uh, he said it this way. He says, if it is I who say where God will be. In other words, if, I, if I'm the one who gets to define who God is, if I say, if I find myself saying, well, I believe God is this, or I feel like God should be like that. If it is I who say where God will be, well, then I will always find there a God who in, in some way corresponds to me, is agreeable to me, and fits in with my nature. What Bonhoeffer is revealing here is that if your bottom line understanding of God is what you wish, what you want, what you feel God should be, and the reality is you hold before you no God at all. But really what you hold in front of you is just a projection. A projection that is a reflection, a mirror of your own wishes, wants, and desires of what you want and what you want God to be. And you ultimately, you just, you just know yourself. You just know yourself a little better. You've revealed your own will rather than the will of God. Pastor Timothy Keller, he goes on to describe this idea this way. He says, when, when, when this is God for you, you, you don't have a God who then can talk back. You don't have a God who can say something offensive. You see, if God is a real person and you're having a personal relationship with him, then he is going to argue with you. He's, he is going to disagree with you. And so how do we do this? How do we live in this? How do we move from, you know, believing that to believing in, to not just knowing about, to truly knowing, to ensuring that who it is that we know is actually the one true God of the scriptures rather than this projection of our own wishes, wants, and desires? How do we keep that straight? Well, I wish I had some, like, like surprise, brand new, under the sun answer for you, but I don't. It's the zeros and ones or the blocking and tackling, the basics of having your relationship with God, which comes back to being in his word and being in prayer. 
No big surprise that his objective truth is revealed in the Bible. It's right there in the scriptures and that we live in that subjectively both, yes, through his word that's active and alive and through this gift of prayer that he has given us. That we hand in hand, based on the objective reality of his truth revealed, live subjectively in a very real and personal relationship where he guides us personally and practically. Honestly, uh, if you've been with us, that's what that whole last series, a rule of life, a way of life was all about. It's how we together as a church can come together, yes, as a group and also individually to put the practices and parts of our life to set it up to get us anchored in both personal and practical reality of who God is and what he's up to in our life. It's why we as a church are always, you could say, in this one hour together, always kind of pushing you back on the other 167 hours that you have in a week to have your own personal and practical relationship with God, that it doesn't depend from one hour, one weekend to the next. It's why we have things like these, these I've seen these family advent boxes going around, uh, that they are an opportunity for you and your family to focus on Jesus this Christmas season between the weekends, or the audio devotions that our discipleship and worship arts team put together for us to be able to kind of dial into both of the words of worship and the word and thoughts and reflections and be able to pray through that. That's why our women's Christmas event, of all the events you have, this is the event. Its theme this year is shalom, which is a, is a word for, the Hebrew word for peace. That there's a, a peace that's more than just kind of like calming down for a little bit. There's a rich supernatural peace that comes in Jesus. Like the focus on that. It's why we serve in all kinds of ways, why we partner with our elementary school across the street where we're, you guys have been a part of generously providing more than 600 gifts for each individual student as well as 25 classroom gifts to be able to support and kind of be the light of Jesus this Christmas to our community. It's why our generosity initiative going to Christmas Give 2022 is all about giving the message of Jesus away through missions both locally and around the globe. In the East Auditorium, you guys already saw uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, one that we support around here. You're gonna see it here in just a little bit. Like These are all part of what we get to do, again, not just one hour on a weekend, uh, but the other 167 hours a week that we're all part of these things. And if you've been around, like that's gonna be the, like that theme's not going away. We're gonna keep encouraging you to move from beyond the one hour to the other 167 in your life to, you could say, be a missionary of your own. Like, yes, we support missions, but you too. In the other 167 hours, you are a missionary in your context with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, that as you kind of share the light of Christ by living in the light personally and practically, you have the confidence to invest in them and invite them to uh, our Christmas services, uh, to be able to extend, to be a missionary in your setting. And on our end, we're gonna do everything we can to ensure that the Christmas services that we plan and prepare have your guests, regardless of where they're at in their journey of faith, in mind. We do all this together. We, we, we go and we get after it and we work on these things. Uh, but, and this is kind of the last word on this. Um, this is not works righteousness. Remember we talked about that. We're not earning our way when we do these things. Uh, we can only be, again, it's kind of like the saying, like, don't get the cart before the horse. And, and when we start thinking these things, oh, I need to do this or give or whatever, or grow or serve in order to like earn something, then we've gotten the cart in front of the horse. We've missed it. Remember, we are saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ come. And so we never wanna get the cart in front of the horse, but instead get the cart where it belongs, behind the horse. The horse is, to continue this illustration, is the story of Christmas, that Jesus has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then out of response to that, in thankfulness and gratitude, that the one who would give his one and only son, the 
we could trust him to do that. We can trust him that he has what's best for us eternally, has what's best for us practically in living in the light in the way that he does. And so when we do these things, it's in trust, trusting in, believing in the reality and that the one who sent his only son is also the one who has what's best for us in the living of our life. Uh, We'll close with this quote. It's one of my favorites uh, with this idea of not getting the cart and the horse uh, mixed up by Dallas Willard. He says, grace absolutely is opposed to earning. You cannot earn grace. You cannot earn the gift of eternal life. However, it is not opposed to effort. It is not opposed to effort. That yes, we cannot earn eternal life that only comes in Jesus at Christmas, but we can put in the effort, you could say, to live in that life together as his church. And so as his church, we know we need some help with that. So I'm gonna invite you to pray with me as we ask his leadership in all of that for our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment we are thankful. We are thankful for the gift and the grace of not revealing yourself just on words on paper in a book, but to literally reveal who you are in the coming of Jesus. That we get to see that because of John, seeing, hearing, touching, knows what it's like to follow God because you showed us in Jesus, in humanity, what that life looks like. And so we want all in on that, God. We wanna know you personally and practically, but thanks be to you that you did not leave us on our own to figure that out or to do this on our own, but that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you at work within our hearts, both as individuals and collectively, you empower us to do this. So draw our attention in our own week that we would get in the word through these resources or some sort of Bible reading plan on the Version Bible app, something that gets us in your word, focusing on who you are personally and practically through your word and prayer that we might in turn go and live it as you called us to. Thank you for your power in the Holy Spirit to make it happen. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you. Amen.